Welcome to Lift Your Legacy. My name is Jacob Rupp, father, husband, and rabbi. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you unlock your inner potential and create change that will impact the future. Thank you for listening and let's get to it. Okay, well, thank you very much. I've taken a little bit of a hiatus on the uh, on the podcasting because, uh, you know, just thinking about things and how I wanted it to progress. Um, I appreciate tremendously all of the ongoing support. And uh, we're switching the format a little bit. There will still be some interviews, um, but I'm also transitioning to providing some of my own content. So what you should hear for the next couple of podcast episodes would be more personal stuff, uh, a little bit more teaching, and hopefully different ways I can deliver value to you. As always, I really value your input. And if possible, I would appreciate if you would reach out on any of the social channels uh, or just email me, rabbirupp at gmail.com or jrupp at h.edu uh, and provide some suggestions for me of how I could better serve. And one of the things that I'm hoping you will see at this point is that we are extremely focused on living a better life. And one of the most important components of that is getting the direction and the one-on-one -on -one work that you need in order to live better. So I am a strong proponent of coaching. I do a lot of coaching myself, and I would encourage you, if you're listening to this, to please do what many other people have done. Reach out. Let's have a conversation. There's no obligation to you whatsoever uh, to see if we might be a good fit to work together. And if that might not be the case, I would be thrilled to introduce you to any of the multitude of options and networks and people that I know who could provide that help. So again, please reach out via social channels, whatever it might be. I don't think I'm too hard to find. Certainly not, I hope. And, uh, and, and let me know how I could be of benefit to you. Thank you so much. All right. This is fantastic. Thank you so much, all of you, for joining, for all of you taking the advantage during your workday, uh, or if you're not working, as most of the world is no longer working, uh, to join us here on H.com, Jacob Rupp from H. Minnesota. It is my honor to be here today. Thank you so much to the H. staff, uh, the technical people who are working extremely uh, diligently to make sure you get your classes. Uh, and uh, I, I anticipate hopefully a wonderful 40-minute uh, endeavor to take your mind off. You know, I, I'll, be, I'll be very frank. I'm not sure where the panic is right now. Um, it, for me, I walked to Trader Joe's today. The panic has dropped significantly. I know there's probably a lot of pundits and, and media individuals who are preparing all of their exciting uh, fear-mongering in order to keep you terrified, but uh, you're not going to get that here. Hopefully that's okay with you. Um, what I thought we would do would be to jump into and to discuss potentially Pesach, which again, is kind of like the big thing coming up, like the, all of the children of yours that are not in school right now, they're all studying Pesach. And um, for those of us that are uh, parents, a lot of times we, we wind up letting the kids do the teaching on Passover. But we have this amazing opportunity this year where we can actually do a little bit of studying before and actually talk a little bit about what does a holiday mean and how is it relevant. So the first question is, and again, there's this in the in the marketing world, the business world, in which I sometimes like to uh, to delve and to dive and to and to talk about. Uh, we find that we find that there is a a, a um, tension between what we would call evergreen content and new content, up to date content. 
So the, 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 the push back and forth is, does a person want to really tap into the moment, at which point you would find out that right after, again, like the news cycle, you're not going to watch tomorrow, yesterday's news because you already saw it and it's irrelevant, right? And the, and the fun with the internet is that by the time you finish talking, it's already irrelevant, right? Whereas evergreen content, so evergreen content, content that is just relevant forever, so that's great, but you actually have to be able to make it relevant to the people that are reading it. So for anyone that's kind of figured out where this is going, Judaism, specifically the Seder, specifically Pesach, it's all evergreen content, right? It's content that has been around forever. Now, the benefit of that is that, again, we're not rushing to create, and again, I'm going to maybe... Well, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna bank on this being like daytime, not not Dr. Phil TV television, you know, TV. So I'm gonna say a couple of things that are a little bit on the verge of controversial. I'm sure they'll just slap me off the live the live feed if, if things go sideways. But um, you know, I don't think you need to make a new a new Haggadah every single every single year, right? So so the problem with that is, or the reason why that's important, a lot of people are you, know, you make a lot of money on making new Haggadahs, right? But the, the problem with that is you spend all of your time trying to find the new stuff, right? What's the new, the new cool thing? Like now maybe there'll be a coronavirus Haggadah, you know, where it'll come with, uh, with uh, you know, some hand sanitizer, Coach Lepesach, right? You can get that. And uh, you have like a, a breathing mask on so you can <laughs> distress yourself, right? And, and, and certain companies are going to make lots of money. It's going to be fantastic. But as the consumer who's trying to connect to the evergreen content that is Judaism, that is Passover, right? So it does, your Passover doesn't go stale, right? And so next year you're like running around scrambling. Um, we have to try to ask, what are the big questions? The big questions, uh, oops, getting some practical information. Thank you so much. Um, so what are the big questions that are relevant for Passover this year and always to allow you not to, to have your Passover stuff go stale, but rather to go deeper and deeper? So that's the second piece that I would potentially like to look at and how we think about our Judaism, especially as it relates to nowadays, right? So we are always trying to do a breadth, breadth, like, like wide, right? So the, the beauty, the benefit of of having all this information at our fingertips is we can know about everything anywhere. So if you want to learn about, again, there's a, an amazing app. I'll just do you know an unpaid promotion called Masterclass, where you can literally learn from the greatest people in any industry their their talents. Tom Morello from a band called Rage Against the Machine, he teach how to play guitar. Steph Curry from a, a a sport you know formerly known as the NBA, which is currently in a hiatus right now. He'll teach you how to play basketball because you're obviously not watching on TV anymore, right? So you can learn from all of the masters how to do stuff. Now, the interesting thing here is when you're looking at learning from the masters is that you can learn a ton over like surface wise, but you're never going to be able to execute guitar like Carlos Santana or, or, or Tom Morello because these people have been doing it in depth. And you'll notice that they're not teaching the class on how to make mixed drinks right after the class that they're teaching how to play guitar. You're going to find a different expert for each one of the different topics. So that's a really fascinating concept, right? Because we have a tendency to try to go out, but the flip side is that if we don't go deep, right, we're never going to be able to have that level of, uh, of perspective. So one of the challenges is we go through Passover and you're like, I've done Passover before. I've done Passover for years is to think to yourselves, there's two modalities of learning. One modality is broad and the other one is deep. And Jewish concepts are supposed to be deep. 
Why is the diet industry a billion dollar industry? More than a billion dollar industry, sorry, I, I, I cut it short, right? It's because people are always trying to learn new hacks and new ways to get around the same annoying thing, which is if you eat healthy and exercise and you do it with some level of consistency, you will lose weight and you'll get in the shape that you want. 99% of that, boom, that's it. There's no million, there's no billion dollar thing right there. It's just the consistency, it's the depth. So you have to sit down with yourself and think again, this is really like a, a profound idea. It's not my idea, just you know, coming up with it. It's actually in the Talmud. It speaks about the idea that, that Adam, right? Adam was either as broad as the world or going up to the heavens, right? So there's an idea that man has two dualities, uh, has, has two um, methodologies. Either you can go like breath, or you can go with depth, and you have to figure out what what is what do I need right now? What what should I get good at? How do I master something? So when it comes back to Jewish stuff, oftentimes we think, what's the new idea? What's the relevant idea? How is this relevant to where I am right now? And I would argue, as a premise, that's the wrong question to ask because if you're trying to draw out and get more breath in the stuff that you're doing, you're by definition not getting the essential message, which is how do you drive it into you? How do you make it relevant? How does it touch you? Right. So I. I could get up and I can, and, and again, the world is full of people like this and I'm sure I'm like this. You know, the world is full of people that can give you every single opinion on absolutely everything. I know that is, that is me, right? But then you're like, but what of those things have you actually implemented into your life? At which point you're like, well, I couldn't implement it because I was too busy learning all of the other approaches and other opinions. And it's like, well, that's great, but you're just going to wind up leaving without having achieved the main objective that you want, which is get results in one specific area, right? Again, now we... Started, started going in a slightly different direction, but it's an interesting thing. Very often, we we are are thinking, you know, this whole there's idea about soulmates, and it's not the, the the value, the purpose of the class right now. But there's an idea of of mon, of monotheism that that too, right? But monogamy and the idea of finding someone with whom you could spend your life as sort of the again, I know we're speaking to a very broad audience, but something that people would a, a try to achieve, right? And that modality, why is that modality something that we might aspire to? because ultimately we appreciate that there's a level of depth that you can get when you're focused in one direction that you couldn't get if you were consistently focused broadly, if that makes sense. So again, we're going back. Well, how does this all make sense? I, I started with a little bit of a teaser. How does Pesach relate in the time of coronavirus? And so the answer was, first of all, is that even a question? Because Pesach should be relevant. We should be aspiring to make Pesach relevant no matter what the circumstance is right? What's unique about coronavirus this time? Well, maybe we have the opportunity to spend some time learning together today, right? Because maybe your, your job is, is not happening or people are quarantined or you're sitting there, right? So that's, that's, that, that, that's relevant and new, right? But more than that, perhaps we can try to think to ourselves, what ends up changing as you go through? And this is a really, really deep idea. Again, I want to, I want to let everybody know that these concepts take years to like really put into your life, but are important and relevant to think about nonetheless, right? So, so when you come back and you look at new holidays, you look at new Judaism, you look at things that you are engaging in, right? And the, the, the text itself is the same. So where is the newness there? So it's, it's a dual thing. There's newness in the sense that 
it's now coming into you more because you're already familiar. So like for me, I would always tell people when people sit down again, I always, when I was learning for the first time about Judaism, you know, people would say, well, what do you want to study? And I'm like, I don't know, man, you're the rabbi. You tell me, I don't know anything about Judaism. Right. But nowadays when people ask me, what, well, what, what do you want? What, what should we study? I always suggest let's start with the book of Genesis, right? Because why, why is that so important? Because most of us sort of know the basics of it. And then we can start to get a basic framework. And then as soon as you have the basic framework, then you can really go in and be like, oh my gosh, that was such an awesome insight. You could literally get lost. Again, Genesis is broad. You can get lost in one, one verse is a little bit, you know, again, that's might be a little bit more advanced than, than I can do, but, but you can get lost in a, in a, in a, in just a section of it. But the more that you know it, right, the famous Bruce Lee line, I fear the man who is not, not that can do 10,000 kicks, but practice one kick 10,000 times, right? There's an idea that, that, that mastery is created by r repeating over and over and over again. So that the, the root mechanics of it, that's like nothing. You got to know the root mechanics of it, but then you got to really train it. <clears throat> so as we go into this concept, right, we go into this concept that um, when we look at the Seder, right, a lot of times we're concerned that there's not originality. And the answer is like, well, that's the point, because what we're trying to do is to bring it into us. We're trying to make it relevant in our lives. And so therefore we have to drive in as opposed to find new. So when, whenever people are throwing around, hey, I got a new Haggadah or hey, there's this new, you know, interactive type of experience, experiential thing, right? So that's just you're doing something different. You're not driving in, right? And which, again, not just suggesting, not, not, not judging at all. The next point would be if you come back rather than driving it into you, when you come back the next time right? And you learn the same thing. And it comes out different. It's because you've spent a year, you've been the one that's been changing over the year, becoming a different person. So the stuff should resonate more with you, which is sort of the, which is sort of the route that I think is very important to think about as we go into the Passover Seder this year. It's not like, again, I'm not coming up with, again, maybe I should. And if anyone's watching this and wants to run with it, I think you'd make a ton of money, right? But uh, I'm not going to you know, promote the corona, the coronavirus Haggadah, right? Where everyone has their, their uh, what's it called, social distancing. And there's like nobody at the table. And it's just kind of you and your kids like all the way down there. And you're, you're washing, you know, not once, not twice, like 25 times. And, you know, all, all those kind of, no, that's not what we're doing, right? You could do it. But the idea is that we, having seen the coronavirus and having seen what's going on in the world today, might bring to, with a new perspective, our Passover experience. That's a great thing to look at. That's amazing. That's interesting. So what is it in the text that I'm going to relate to differently now that I've lived the life over the last year that I have? That's the whole idea, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, right? It, it, oftentimes for people, it's a very frustrating experience. It's not even necessarily frustrating. It's just... um. It seems like stupid in a way because you go in front of God the same time and you're saying you're sorry and please I'll do it better next time and God why don't you this and why don't you that and it's like people think to themselves well, what's the point like I'm doing the same thing I'm saying the same thing over and over again it's the same song and dance like God's probably figured out at this point so the idea is no that if you again th th this is this is a this is a lesson you I've literally spent my whole life and have gleaned from, from really intelligent people. So I think it's very important, right? A lot of times we find ourselves, as we mentioned last time, in situations where we're upset at ourselves and we're saying, I shouldn't have these problems, as I, as I talked about yesterday. And there's this idea that's fundamental, which is that you, you never, we think to ourselves, I can't believe I'm dealing with this problem again. 
right? Uh, once again, I've said something stupid. Or once again, I'm in the situation right, where you know I have this challenge with my business, right? It's like I'm back to zero. And the answer is no. You're never back to zero, right? Why not? Because you've changed. You're not zero. So the person that's dealing with this challenge, even if it's a major challenge, people that have to get married after years of being married, you know, it's something they're they get whatever it is, you know, it's like I'm not coming back to zero. I am the product of my experiences, and so I'm going to handle things differently with this new amount of information that I have. So that's all a beautiful halfway through the class introduction to the Passover in the time of coronavirus, right? Again, we're going to try to go into the text, maybe even we'll do that today, and also we're going to say that instead of me trying to generate some kind of like, quote, relevance of the Seder for the coronavirus. That's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to take our experiences and, and put our put our sunglasses on or our glasses on for how do we appreciate the, uh, the Seder in general. How's that sit with you? Hopefully fantastic. Okay, so now we look at it. Let's think about it. What is, again, and it's a really fascinating idea that a lot of people don't even think about, right? But, but what is the value? What is the purpose? What are we trying to accomplish with the Seder? Period. Second thing is like, why is that even a relevant question? Like, well, you know, like I'm just sitting down and doing it. Well, how many times in your life have you accomplished something great without setting out an intention in the beginning? Not to tell you that I'm a frequenter of the yoga, but maybe I'm a frequenter of the yoga. But there's this general principle, again, that everybody, everybody thinks is like a yoga thing, right? Where, where, where you say, you know, you have to set your intention for the class, right? What's my intention? What do I want to do here? What, what's my goal? And the fascinating thing about that is you think, wow, that's really cool. I go to core power to, to appreciate and get that intention. No, man, that comes from Judaism, actually. In fact, you might say it's, it's really interesting. The faith and, and, I, and you'll see a theme in a lot of the things that I talk about, is that all of these great ideas that people took a run and, and built these huge empires on, it's all Jewish stuff. So there's a very famous book called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And in it, one of, the, one of the habits is you're supposed to begin with the end in mind, right? Which is, again, what your core power yoga instructor is telling you to, to set your intention for your practice, right? So then the next thing would be, right, where does that come from? Stephen Covey's idea. So it comes from, it comes from the Bible. It comes from, frankly, even... even after that, but it comes from this idea. We say the, the prayer for Shabbat, the, the song we sing is we bring in the Shabbat, right? This idea that, that Shabbat was the last thing that God created, but it was the first thing he had in mind. So God's whole intention with building up the world was to create a Shabbat, and then he had to do all these steps to get us there. So that's a fascinating concept, because if we think about it, we're supposed to be intentional at everything that we're trying to do in our life. And that's very hard because it's so much easier to just kind of be an autopilot and to sit down and just be like, okay, I'm just having this experience and never ask yourself, well, what do I want to get out of this experience? But the fascinating thing is endeavors that work are endeavors that people had in mind in the beginning. So sometimes let's just say you look at your day, right? And your day just kind of like disappears. And this is a real risk when you have this, um, the wonderful thing called the coronavirus, you know, it's like, it's like, what am I supposed to do today, right? And, and, and this existential crisis, which most Jews have on Shabbat, right? The world is like experiencing this in a very real way. It's like, there's no work to do. The, the, the company's closed, right? And, and you're home and your kids are home and you're just kind of sitting there chilling out, right? So then you think, well, what am I supposed to do today? So if you're not careful, if you're not careful, the day just bleeds one topic into the other and you go to bed without having any kind of like understanding or appreciation of what happens. I watched 25 hours of Netflix. I think I, I spilled some ice cream on my shirt and, and, and I, I zoned out, right? And, and that's it. And I could just do, you can do it for your whole life. 
frankly. So the, the, the antidote to that would be to set up, right? This is the situation. I have X number of hours, right? What, what do I want to get out of those hours? And so as soon as you even start by asking that question, you could start to orient yourself. Think about where do I want to get to? I go to bed at the end of the day. What were some of my goals, right? Again, this is, this is like a very small psychological shift, but this could have a massive impact in your life. Like, what am I doing? Same thing. You sit down for a meal, right? Again, this is, this is again, hate to, hate to say it's Judaism, but this is like the right environment to say it, right? The idea of brachos, the idea of saying a blessing before you eat. What's the concept? The concept is that instead of just stuffing your face, you're, you're creating an intention. You're, you are, first of all, you're thanking God, and you're also appreciating that this is a a, a, a me method, methodology, a, a, an experience between which God gives to you and you nourish yourself for what? Hopefully, hopefully for spiritual needs, right? This whole concept of setting an intention, right? So, so when you're when you're sitting there with, with the ice cream dribbling down your 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 chest, right, and and the, and the and the Cheetos are surrounding you, right? So, so you didn't necessarily think to yourself, is this what I was supposed to do with food? Because very often, if you look at that, you say, well, that's really not what food is, right? The whole idea again, I'm I'm, I'm harping a little bit on the on the diet culture a little bit, but the whole idea of intentional eating, right? The idea that you think to yourself, I'm going to eat. What's the point of my eating? I, as someone that's that's worked on this my whole life, right? So for me, eating might have this attention of like fulfilling, you know, I'm hungry, I got to eat, or you know, strengthening my body. But oftentimes, what what eating is in my mind is just a way to be comfortable. And if things are stressful, or things are difficult, or things are un, unsure, so Ben and Jerry's always has my back. Ben and Jerry, no matter what it is, they'll be there for me. They'll make me feel good in the, in the short term. Right. So if I find myself sitting down eating Ben and Jerry's like and again, nobody eats Ben and Jerry's out of the like the thing you eat it out of the out of the, 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 the tub. Right. Because because no one would actually sit down and eat Ben and Jerry's. But you're eating it out of the tub and you eat the whole thing. And now they, <laughs> it's the best. They don't even have, a, they have on the back. They have serving sizes for a serving. And then they just have for how much the whole tub is. And you're like, yeah, you know, let's do it. Twelve hundred thirty calories, you know, twelve thousand uh, calories. Great. Let's go for it. 1,230 calories. Not that I've looked, but I've looked, right? So it, 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 the idea is that it's unintentional. And that's how you eat the whole thing, and that's how you wind up feeling sick. And intentional eating is, what am I looking for? What's my desire? What do I want to do with what I eat? And then it will allow you to frame the experience in a meaningful way. So again, when we sit down with the family Seder, what's the intention? What are we trying to get? Now, more than that, interestingly enough, more than that, is that a personal question or is that a God question? Is that a Jewish question? Is that a question you want to ask your rabbi? So a lot of times we think to ourselves, well, it's a me question because at the end of the day, it's Judaism. I figure out what I want out of this experience, out of this life. It's all about me. And the answer is like, good, probably. And it is all about you. But on the flip side, potentially, if you thought maybe there is a value to assessing, is there like an outside purpose that we want to kind of plug into? What might that be? So just to, to tie it back and to explain a little bit more detail. So we sometimes think to ourselves, what do I want to get out of this Seder? Which point it might be spending time with friends, not this year, spending time with family, hopefully this year, right? I want to eat food. I want to, I want to do something Jewish, whatever it might be. Those might be our intentions. And we never go to the next point, which is to ask, does the, the word is Baal Haggadah, the person that wrote the Haggadah, or so to speak, God, or so to speak, the rabbis or Judaism, do they have an idea about why we're sitting down to do this story? And so that's also a very fascinating concept because 
If you look at the Haggadah, it's again, and, and this is such a, for me, it's like the biggest pet, not the big, I trust me, plenty of pet peeves. One big pet peeve is that no one actually spends the time to read the thing and to see maybe it's telling us something. Maybe there's a, maybe there's a lesson. We're so busy trying to frame it so that it's relevant to us and it fits within our narrative, right? That we never actually ask, like, maybe there's something here for us to try to, try, you know, to try to understand or appreciate. Why is that important? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a, another practical example. Right, there are certain. I love something called jujitsu, Brazilian jujitsu. Right, it's called BJJ. So, in the world of Brazilian jujitsu, not that I'm a wonderful practitioner of it, but just someone that's watched it and enjoys it. Right. So, so there are so many micro movements that that literally like are or core fundamentals that you have to know before you can go out and actually do anything. Right. You have to know what are the fundamentals of movement, of of balance of how you move your body in order for you to accomplish anything. It's not just about brute strength. So the only way you'll ever learn that is you have to have a, a growth mindset, a teaching mindset. When you come and you say, maybe I don't know how to get this person in the position that I want or manipulate you know, my opponent in the way that I'm looking for. You have to go with a growth mindset. You have to ask, you know, sit down with the professor, the, the person that's, that's teaching you and you say, how does this work? And he'll show you all these basic moves, right? So the same thing, what are the basic moves of the Haggadah? Maybe there's something deeper there then we didn't know and we spent all the time on all of the superficial stuff that we can't actually get in and ask the essential questions of the Haggadah. Hopefully that was clear. I've now more or less run through my entire class with just the fundamental, which is great because how else are you supposed to build something from there? So the very basic idea that I think is, is crucial when we sit down for Leil Seder, the night of Passover, is that we want to create Seemingly, this is seemingly what the Haggadah says, it says that we're supposed to feel as if we ourselves went out of Egypt. That's the idea. We're supposed to really practically connect to this idea. And that's the point. Now, the interesting thing about that is that if we spend the time not doing that, we can have a whole Seder experience and miss the whole point. The famous example that people give is that if a person would hire a company to move their stuff across the country and they would find the safest driver and they would find the cleanest truck and they would write the check and they would send the guy and then the guy would go and deliver the stuff and then would come back. And he would come back and he'd say, I didn't get a speeding ticket. I didn't bump anything. It was safe. It was good. Everything. You say, fantastic. I'm going to now go and get my stuff at the location they delivered it. He said, oh, I didn't bring your stuff. You're like, what? He's like, yeah, I, I just drove safely. And I, then you're like, well, why did I pay you in the first place? The goal of getting you, of, of paying you, besides that you drive safe, was only to get you to a certain place. But if you didn't pick up the stuff and drop it off, there's no purpose in the first place. So again, depending on how we look and frame the question of what's the point of Passover, it depends on um, how do we figure out what, what am I trying to actually deliver? So I would venture to say the, 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 the deliverables of Passover is this sense of identity. We are developing an identity with this idea called going out of Egypt. And we're like, what does that mean? Like, we don't think about that, but it's a crazy concept. Because one of the one of the, the crazy lines from the Haggadah at the very beginning, and again, all of the beginning of the Haggadah, we, which we wind up spending so much time on, right? And not the actual, <laughs> the Haggadah itself is just four paragraphs, right? Um, 
but but we spend all this beginning intro stuff and we spend all this time on it one of the things that it talks about is it, two ideas one is it says that even if uh, if not for God taking us out of Egypt, then even our, our great-grandkids, right, frankly, our great-grandkids would be enslaved in Egypt. So that's a really interesting question, because if you think about it, that makes no sense. I studied a little bit of history in college, right? We know that all empires eventually end. And if you think about this concept that like, um, you know, you think about slavery, African-American slavery in, 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 in America, right? So there was no going out of Egypt as much as they tied the story to, to our story. God didn't do 10 plagues and the southern states fell apart and they came out through the splitting of the Mississippi River, something like that. It didn't, it didn't, it didn't want to happen. There was a war, right? And then it just ended. And the Confederacy just collapsed in and of itself. And Abraham Lincoln sent the Emancipation Proclamation, I think 1963, 1863. We'll see, right? And so there was physical, political forces at work. And that's why, thank God, again, are we at a place of, of you know, comfortable race relations in America? Not the, not the uh, bandwidth for our conversation, but the African-Americans are no longer enslaved in America and had nothing to do with God, 10 plagues, splitting the sea, bringing one nation out from the other one. Same thing. You look at America, right? The, the original colonists say, you know, they felt impressed, uh, oppressed, oppressed. And again, I'm not saying it's the same thing. And I, I don't want to offend anybody from California, New York, or really anywhere in the world, right? Which is impossible. So just got to do what you got to do, right? But the same thing, the, the, for, the, the, uh, the original, the founding fathers, they also saw themselves as, as the new Jews, so to speak, as the people that went out of Egypt. But you think to yourself, you say, well, you didn't really go out of Egypt. No 10 plagues that destroyed the, England. You, you, you got on a boat, you, you went to a place, you fought a guerrilla war. It, it worked out pretty good. There's a lot of good old American grit. And you fought a war and then you became free. And ultimately it wasn't worth it for England to continue to invest their resources because they, they kept losing the war. That's it. So if you think to yourself, it's a story that is unlike any other story. Because every other story, you would never make a statement like, if not for this happening, then we would be, even our grandchildren, enslaved. Because that's just not how the world works. And the Haggadah is like, like at least 1,800 years old. So you're never going to project out and think that, you know, like what empire is going to last 2,000 years or 3,000 years? It's a crazy thing. And if this is supposed to be evergreen, go back for those of you who are listening, this is going to be... Um, relevant forever, you would never want to set up something that is so historically improbable that you'd have this long-term servitude of one nation to another that wouldn't get fall apart by natural societal demographics. Does that make sense? Hopefully, again, I'm not sure. Thank you all for watching. It means a lot to me. That's the, that's the basic first point. So you ask yourself, like, what in the world does that mean? How can I relate to going out of Egypt when the going out of Egypt, it's completely unique? One of the ideas that I, I'm very into is what's the value out of Jewish philosophy, right? Because thank God we have so many great philosophies out there. They have so many great leadership ideas and lessons and all this kind of stuff. So like what makes what we're talking about Jewish, right? This is one of the things that makes it Jewish. This is a Jewish value add that the rest of the world can't necessarily relate to, right? We say that somehow, this is the whole idea about Passover, somehow we are people who are going out of Egypt, and it has to be a miraculous going out. And if we didn't go out, so then we would stay enslaved forever. So you have to ask yourself, what does that mean? How do I relate to that? Like, what's going on with it? Second question, phenomenal question, right? Which is that even if we were all men of understanding, women, men, people, people know the story. Again, the Passover story, everybody knows, right? So it's like the Haggadah says, even if we knew it all, right, um, we would still do it. 
So you think about that, you're like, that's a crazy idea. What in the world would I have to, why would I have to keep doing this process if I already know everything? Again, that's that's the, I'm sorry, I'm like, I'm, I get really fired up about this, but that's the danger of always adding new stuff into the Seder. That's the danger of it because then there's all kinds of stuff you don't know because you don't know what so-and-so publisher is going to publish the, you know, the, the coronavirus uh, Haggadah for, that we're all going to rush out and buy, right? You don't know what's in that book. So then you're just reading new stuff, right? So it's like that doesn't make sense because the, 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 the Passover story is not about being new. If you don't know what you're talking about, if you don't know the fundamentals of it, right? So then like you, you don't even start. So the, 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 again, I get excited. So I'm just going to re- repeat what I just said. Point number one, we should ask ourselves, if you want, what does Judaism want from us having the Seder? What does the Haggadah want? Not what do I want, what does the Haggadah want? So Haggadah seems to say it's important for Jews to see themselves once a year as if they went out of Egypt. That's interesting. What does that mean? So then you again, you push back on this concept. You say, well, is Egypt like anything else? And Haggadah says, no, it's not. Because Egypt has this element of eternal servitude, and no other nation on earth has this concept of eternal servitude, theoretically speaking, because each nation, the, the, the demographics of it would, would fall apart over time and they would be freed. So what does that mean? And then finally, we have to ask ourselves, it's not a lesson about learning something new, but rather bringing into our truest being, ourselves, who we are, this lesson. And the only way I can start to really bring that into myself is I have to try to eliminate all of the extraneous information and actually think about the concept. Again, it's a beautiful thing. It's that, that same thing. Again, sorry, we're going on the diet path, right? But but it's like keto. And then you're like uh, paleo. And then you're like, you know, uh, intuitive eating. And then you, you, you bring up all of these different dietary philosophies, right? And, and you're so busy with all the new stuff that nobody asks yourself, hey man, did you actually lose the weight that you're trying to lose? Do you actually have your, your body looking like you want it to look like or your health reflecting what you want? And you're like, no, I didn't, I didn't do that. You're like, okay. So like, did you want to become a philosophy major in diets or did you, did you just want to feel better in, in your genes, so to speak, right? So, <laughs> so, so most of us would say, if we go back to our core, I just want to feel better. I want, I want what works right? So then what works would be to figure out, just find something and actually implement it into your life, period. We're going to go five more minutes. For those of you that are still on, thank you for listening. So the idea is the following. First and foremost, our general goal when it comes to approaching, to thinking about Passover, is to realize that we are in a wonderful, unprecedented time in world history where we can actually have some time to think about what does the Seder mean to me? What does Passover mean to me? How can we get the most out of our experience? Then you have to ask the question, well, how do I approach Passover? Do I want to ask what I want to get out of it? Or do I want to see maybe Judaism wants me to get something out of Passover? And if so, what? And then we go to the Haggadah. And the Haggadah says, well, you're supposed to see as if you went out of Egypt. And don't think that it's just about freedom. And don't think that it's just about redemption of slavery. Because the redemption and the freedom is completely unreplicated anywhere else in, in, in human history. So don't think that you can just celebrate freedom and talk about all of these you know, ongoing political issues because the political issues have nothing to do with Passover. I hate to say it. 
And I, again, I get a little bit fired up. I'm from California originally, right? But there's this idea that I find it like offensive, frankly, to think that it's a Jewish value. It's only a Jewish value to, to be nice to people who want to have freedom. Like, no, that's an everybody value. If you don't think that people should be free, then, then like, what's wrong with you? That's for everyone, not just Jews say that. Everybody says that. Most people say that, right? Modern people say that, right? Most people are on board that there's a university, university universalism to wanting people to be free, to be sensitive, to be able to live the kind of lives they want. Maybe that came from us, maybe, right? But 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 honestly, like, everyone, that's a universal value. So then the question is like, what's uniquely Jewish? So what's uniquely Jewish is the fact that our servitude was such that if God didn't do all of these crazy miracles, then we would never have gotten out. So what we're saying is that God had to overturn nature in order for us to get out of slavery. So now you think to yourself, that's a crazy concept. How is that relevant? How do I relate to that? And <laughs> just to end it beautifully, right? So to a certain extent, we don't know how to relate to that. But interestingly enough, if you look into the world and we look at the people that we are now in, in, in March of 2020, right? When we're talking right now, we say, I am watching unprecedented times where there's this little tiny virus and the whole world is upturned and the whole world is unclear and all of the big institutional structures and foundations and everything that's built, right? Everything's built. Again, go back to it. That the, the Costco would have toilet paper and that us in America could get access to toilet paper. That's like as fundamental as it gets, man. And, and, and even that's upside down. If we think that the entire world order could so easily be turned upside down, it lends us questions of like, what are we actually doing? What are we actually living for? What's actually permanent in our life? If Costco toilet paper is not permanent, well, what really is? If the social security is not permanent, if the healthcare system is not permanent, what really is? And that's the beginning of the discussion about Pesach. Because the whole idea is, right, that on that night, on that night, God just turned the order upside down. And the Jews that had been sitting in Egypt for 210 years, suddenly Egypt wasn't anymore. And suddenly the Jews weren't slaves anymore. And suddenly everything just flipped upside down. And that has a worldwide of implications, not practically because of what you do, but this idea that everything that we hold special and everything that we hold normal and everything that we hold is our is our is our natural order, so suddenly a Pesach night, that gets suspended. And the interesting thing is, right, again, going back to what I originally talked about, how it's us who changes when we come back to the Haggadah, not that we want the Haggadah to change, right, to keep us interested, is that we probably had a very hard time relating to that in our life. Because our lives were always, thank God, for those that have been in, let's just say, in, in America the last 50 years, you know, there's a level of stability. In the Western world, there's a level of stability, there's a level of wealth, there's a level of comfort that we've just gotten used to. And the idea that all of a sudden the foundations of our world just drop out from under us and we have an entirely new identity, that's something that's unique. And we couldn't relate to that before, per se, in the same way that we could now. So the, the beauty is, again, just the takeaway practically speaking, first of all, a person should think, what's the value of what I'm trying to accomplish? That a person should think, what do I want my Seder to be about? And a person should think, what does it mean that there are that there's something called the Jewish people? There's something called God took us out of Egypt. And there's something called that the entire natural order turns around. And we have those kinds of things as meditations as we're sitting there drooling on ourselves from the Netflix or from all the stuff that we're watching. If we start thinking to ourselves, we'll have a little bit of preparatory time that when the time comes, we're able to actually utilize that. We're actually able to, to live a different life, to live a better life, to live a more thought 
provoking life, to have a Seder that reflects the essential values of what, what, the, what the Haggadah wanted us for us, which is for it to be a transformative experience. And so that's the idea when it says that every Jew should feel like they came out of Egypt. That's our big challenge, and that's not so easy, because it doesn't say that every Jew should try to get to the four cups of wine without passing out, or get to the meal without falling asleep. That's not what the point is. The point is, it's a very deep challenge and charge for us, which is something you have to realize your life has to be different afterwards. Your life has to be different. You can't just go back. And and again, the best, everyone's going and you read all the news and you know the, the, the people that are like two months behind on the news cycle, they're still just like trying to get us to panic. And the people that are too, you know, like current, they're already talking about when the crisis is going to be over and everyone go back to their life. And, and the interesting thing is from a Jewish perspective, no, man, that's not the idea. The main idea is that we have this experience and that our life has to fundamentally change. So what in our life is going to fundamentally change? How are things going to fundamentally change? You're not going to just bat down the shutters and, and, and wait right? And then hopefully come out and expect the world. There's a good chance the world's not going back the way it is, right? And even if it is, if it did, then like, what were you doing for all this time? This is a big opportunity for you to figure things out. That's all I did about Pesach. So that's the idea why we have to not just like know Pesach, but we have to live Pesach. We don't just know information. We have to have a fundamentally transformative experience. And I would venture to say, in my humble opinion, that we are so geared up and such an amazing opportunity for us as we watch the world fall apart now that we can live Pesach like our ancestors, like we did, and really with God's help, feel like we're actually coming out of Egypt. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you for all logging in and have a wonderful day. There you have it, folks. Another inspiring episode. If you enjoyed this, I ask you to please share this with your friends and to like us over on Rabbi Rupp through Facebook or on YouTube. And the more that we're able to get these important messages out, the more that we can really make an impact in the world. So I encourage you, please, to stay tuned. Uh, We have a ton of amazing speakers coming up and also to tell your friends about it. Thank you very much.